Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mirror, Alberta. Uh, also, I am the chairman of an organization called WSFullSteamHead.org, as most of you already know. Uh, thank you for joining in tonight. Um, we've got a very special guest waiting to speak to you and, and uh, answer some questions for you. Um, his name is Todd Lowen, and he is an independent MLA um, up north, northern Alberta. And a little while ago, he released a video explaining uh, a bill that was recently passed within the legislature and uh, what, it, what it means for us as Albertans and how, uh, how it, it's, it's kind of a dangerous bill. Um, so I watched that video a couple times and I, I shared it and we got a lot of questions from people about what it is or what that's about and what it means for us. And Todd is much, much better exp at explaining that type of thing than I am. So uh, I would like to welcome Todd Lowen. And uh, while we're chatting, if you have any questions for Todd, feel free to put them in the comments section and I will pop it up on the screen and we'll do our best to get your, get your questions answered. Hey, Todd, how's it going? You're very good, very good. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing pretty good. What's, uh, what's the situation like in the North Country? Are you guys getting a little bit of the tropical weather we are down here? Yeah, it's balmy up here, and uh, but we do have a lot of snow. We got a couple of feet of snow on the ground, so it uh, still feels like winter. Sounds like ice hockey and uh, sledding weather. Yes, that's for sure. No, no shortage of that. Right on. Um, I actually just, I watched a, uh, or I read an article that the CBC, or maybe it was CTV, they put out, and they, they were showing some people playing hockey and unfortunately, the conversation around that article was um, the people playing hockey are playing Russian roulette and they should just stay home. And I don't know, it's, it's a little bit frustrating. It's a little bit, uh, you know, it gets a guy down to think that we're, we're, we're being told we can't uh, do things to, to be active in that. But anyway, that's, what, that's not what this conversation is about. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you about a bill that was recently passed by the UCP government. And as I watched your video on that bill, you did a really good job of explaining it. Um, I, I had a few questions and obviously some concerns about it. So I was, uh, I, I'm very grateful that you're joining us tonight and you're going to speak to us about that. So if you don't mind, do you, can you just kind of outline what that bill is and what it means for Albertans? Well, Bill 66 was an amendment to the Public Health Act. And of course, the, you know, the, the main... Uh, Part of that is actually the Public Health Act, of course, itself and what it does. And the Public Health Act, I guess, gives, uh, I guess, kind of extreme powers in extreme circumstances. And of course, if we have a, a public health emergency and and there's times when uh, legislatures can't be recalled in and and uh, so we can't go through the normal legislative process, then uh, the Public Health Act gives uh, opportunity for government officials to to uh, make rules, regulations, and uh, and and take actions to protect uh, the public's health. And of course, uh, there's a lot of things in the Public Health Act that are very, very extreme, and uh, you know you could consider them draconian and uh, authoritarian, and and those sort of things. And and of course, when we look at uh, things like that, we need to be very, very careful on how those things are applied and when they're applied. Of course. Uh, there, there's things in there where it could, they could take public property, they can go onto public, or sorry, go, take private property away from people. They can go onto private property. They can bypass so many different rules and regulations that uh, that we, you know, we, we've become accustomed to just living by. 
that uh, when when it comes time to implement something like that, it has to be done carefully and it needs to be done on a, on a very, very limited basis, as limited as possible. Yeah, and that's that's something there. There is a disconnect with with some people who view me and my opinions and, and kind of I've, how I've handled this situation. Um, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with with a public health act that's designed to protect the health and safety of Albertans. I mean, that is a good thing, obviously, right? But the problem lies in in misapplication or overreaching uh, overreaching authority. So. All of our laws in Canada are governed under the Constitution Act 1982. And I've said this a thousand times in lives and in speeches. Uh, the Constitution demands that any law uh, of the land, any law, rule, mandate, whatever, must be consistent with the Constitution and the rules outlined therein. Otherwise, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not allowed. It's an unlawful law. And uh, what's happened now is we've, we've, been, we've had the courts pointing towards the Section 1 of the Charter, which basically says that in a free and democratic society, if the government can demonstrably justify uh, infringing on your rights, then they can do that. And the Constitution is very clear in saying that before a government does that, it's supposed to prove its case. Like they, the government is supposed to prove that what they're doing is necessary and is going to be the most minimal impact on people's rights and freedoms. However, in our Public Health Act in Alberta, um, as you well know, it gives sweeping powers. Uh, the authorities can come to your business and they can put a chain on the door with a lock. Um, they can kick you out of your business. They can they could even seize your business and turn it into a uh, medical clinic if they feel the need to do so. And my problem lies in the fact that our government did not do the due diligence they should have done before they did these things, right? So they just came in and they said, we're going to do this and you guys just have to agree with it. Otherwise, we're going to take your businesses or, or throw you in jail. So now that kind of goes along with what you're saying with the, the, the overreaching powers of the CMOH. And uh, are you familiar with Lieutenant Colonel David Redman? Yes. yes okay, so you've met him? Yeah. He seems like a pretty cool guy. I mean, this guy spent uh, decades in the military. He was, I believe he was Alberta's emergency and disaster relief coordinator for in around 2000 or so, something like that. Yeah, I can't remember the dates there, but yes, for sure, he's uh, he's definitely got a, a a great career behind him on, in the military for sure. Yeah, and, and so I've been doing a little bit of reading on things that he said, the way this has been mismanaged, and and it's also what you said: the CMO, CMOH has too much power, right? It should have been left to the people that are experts and and know how to deal with this, but instead, we're not in that boat. So, uh, can we go a little bit farther into that bill and uh, and and kind of the dangers of it and how it's I think that it's actually given the government more power that they shouldn't have. Maybe I'm wrong. And if you could shed some light on that, I, that would be great. Yeah, I think uh, one of the main problems that, that we've seen through this whole, uh, this whole pandemic uh, time period is that uh, the powers of the legislature haven't been used. And of course, uh, we have elected MLAs that are elected to represent the people that in their constituencies. And, uh, and, that, and that's why like the, the emergency you know, when there's emergency declared and uh, things have to be done, of course, if the legislature is not sitting, then somebody needs to be making these decisions to uh, to take care of the public's best interests. But uh, the, the, the legislature sat a, a lot, actually, through that two year time to the through the last two years through this time period of the pandemic. And uh, and so what's happened is the, the chief medical officer of health has been making all these decisions 
And of course, uh, the Chief Medical Officer of Health uh, presents to a cabinet committee. And, uh, and, and I, th I think what we see right now, in fact, is that everybody's pointing the finger at everybody else as far as who's making the decisions. You know, Chief Medical Officer of Health is suggesting that the, that the Premier and the Cabinet Committee is making these decisions, and they're suggesting that the, the Chief Medical Officer of Health is making these decisions. And so everybody's pointing the finger everywhere. And of course, the MLAs, when their constituents go to them and say, okay, you know, what's going on here? They're saying, well, we, we don't have any uh, say in this. This is all done in the Cabinet Committee and the Chief Medical Officer of Health. So we have everybody blaming everybody for these decisions and nobody's taking responsibility. And I, I think uh, what what has been missed in all this is we've uh, we've actually ignored the people and the, the people that the people have elected, the MLAs that the people have elected. These, these, the, the MLAs have been ignored in all this. And uh, so they, they sit back and say they don't have any say, but that there should have been an opportunity for a lot of these decisions to come before the legislature. And that just did not happen. This all happened uh, between the Chief Medical Officer of Health and the, the Cabinet Committee. And uh, I, I think there is, since the legislature was sitting through a lot of this period of time, that these decisions should have been brought before the legislature. The MLA should have had a chance to vote on them. And then they could go back to their constituents and say, you know what, I did support that or I didn't support that. And they can either, they can justify the position they've taken. But of course, with that not happening, that's that's left us in a, in a situation where, again, fingers are pointing everybody everywhere and uh, everybody's passing the buck and, and nobody's taking responsibility. I find that very interesting because in, in my case, um, I'm very firm in my belief that, that what I'm doing is the right thing. And I'm proud of that. And I will scream that from the rooftops. So I'm surprised that there's nobody in government that is confident enough in their decisions that they're willing to accept the responsibility for this. If they were if they were doing what they know is right um, and they didn't think that there was going to be some big fallout from it, they should be saying, yeah, I'm doing this. And this is this is my idea and it's the right idea. And we need to move forward, right? It's You, you don't generally pass the buck when what you're doing is the right thing, in, in my humble opinion. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. When things go wrong, that, that's when the fingers get pointed. And, and then let's face it, the MLAs are the ones that are, they're, that are elected. Uh, cabinet ministers, I mean, their MLAs elected uh, by their constituents too, but they're, they're appointed by the Premier. The Premier is the, the, the leader of the party, so not necessarily directly elected as, as Premier. And, uh, and the chief medical officer of health is appointed by the health minister. So, so everybody's uh, everybody at the top that's making these decisions is appointed, and uh, and the people that are actually elected and and need to go back to their constituents and justify the actions. They're not uh, being involved in that that process, that decision making process. Now, one thing that happened when in the debate of Bill sixty six is we brought forward amendments. Now, MLA Drew Barnes, another independent MLA, he brought forward an amendment to. Uh, to actually have the chief medical officer of health uh, report to a standing committee of the legislature uh, every 90 days or less. And, uh, and, re and so MLAs could ask questions. And of course, this would be all re recorded and answered. So it would be uh, open for the public to see and, and look back on. And another thing in that amendment uh, that was asked is that uh, if an MLA wanted to uh, write questions and send it to the chief medical officer of health, then those questions would be answered in writing back. And of course, that would have uh, created a lot more interaction between uh, the elected representatives and the chief medical officer of health. But of course, the UCP caucus voted that amendment down. And so that one, uh, but it's so it's interesting now to see some of the uh, UCP MLAs actually, you know, asking and demanding answers to questions 
on, you know, posting on Facebook their, their letters to the chief medical officer of health asking these questions when they actually voted against that amendment in the legislature. So it's, uh, there's, there's uh, strange things happen in the world of politics. Yeah, definitely. So I, I guess I should mention that this, what we're talking about here, this isn't a, this isn't a COVID debate. What Todd and I are talking about is the fact that I, I think, and I think you're on the same page, Todd, that as Albertans, our voices aren't being accurately represented within the legislature, right? So, and 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 that's a problem because I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you've had people reach out to you on both sides of the of the COVID debate, and they're they're both sides are angry. Am I correct in that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, the, the the government's been uh, able to make sure nobody's happy in the, in this whole situation, and uh, and that's that's unfortunate. I think. Uh, there is opportunity to to have have this discussion, have respectful discussion. It seems like the the only kind of discussion that can happen is on one side, and then uh, then everybody yells and points fingers and calls names at the at everybody else that doesn't agree with them, and and that doesn't have to be the case. I mean, uh, we we don't need to be divided by this. We can we can have these reasonable discussions uh, as. Uh, you know, as, as members of our society, and uh, we don't need to be calling names and pointing fingers and blaming people and blaming different groups in the society for the situation we're in. We can uh, we can have these discussions and we can come up with good decisions. And and again, when we you mentioned about uh, you know constituents being represented by their MLAs, it's you know no matter what position an MLA takes, at, at least the uh, their constituents get to see that. And then uh, they can ask the MLA the questions on on why, and uh, and that's why these things need to be done in a in a certain process. Absolutely. Speaking of process, I I do think that this whole mess could have been avoided. Like the government, in my opinion, they probably could have got through this without putting as much pressure on them as they have, and they've really done it to themselves. So if they had followed uh, the rules set out of the constitution, and I I throw that word around a lot because I really believe in it. If the government had actually presented a concrete case as to why they had to do this, um, proper statistics, proper proper data, and gone to the court and said, this is what we have to do. Now the onus is off the government, right? It's not just the government willy-nilly and unelected official having control of the province. And that's what we have here. We have an unelected official, Dina Hinshaw, um, who has all of the power over the province right now. One, at one point, one of the AHS, uh, the environmental public health officers, uh, Mr. Brown, he said to me, I have all the authority. And I was like, who are you to tell me that you have all the authority over me? And then I, I dug into it and I found out that he really did. And it, it's also interesting to point out that Dina Hinshaw is neither elected, nor was she appointed by Minister Chandra. Um, I believe she is a carryover appointee from uh, Minister Hoffman from the NDP term. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe that's correct. Yes. Uh, and and again, we, we look at this uh, and, and I guess maybe I keep going back to the same point, but uh, but obviously, you know, we, we have the unelected uh, officials that are that are enforcing the rules. And then to a certain extent, we, we can't necessarily blame them for the rules that they're, they're uh, asked to enforce. But uh, but but if you don't have MLAs that that have uh, stood up and voted for or against certain things, then uh, again they can just pass the buck on to the to the chief medical officer of health. They pass it on to the premier, the health minister, the cabinet committee, or the uh, or the officials that are influencing uh, or you know uh, applying the law. So I think we need to 
that's why it's so important to have this process done properly. And again, this this uh, this health act is 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 made to be used in emergency and uh, when when elected officials can't meet. But I think this has been used conveniently by government so that they can uh, they can wash their hands of it and say, well, we're not responsible for this. And and again, we we had the opportunity. This this the legislature. I mean, the premier has been out bragging about how many days that the, that we've sat in this last legislative sitting. I think, I think we set a record actually. So we've been sitting all these days. We've had all this opportunity to discuss this, debate this, vote on this in the legislature. But of course, it never came forward. And uh, and 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 everything's just been done behind the scenes. And again, we, we have this situation now where it looks like there's lots of fingers being pointed on who's responsible. And I think, uh, you know, MLAs, our, that's our job is to, is to make decisions like this. That's what we were elected to do. And, uh, and that's what the, the premier has failed to allow happen. Yeah, so what happens when MLAs go against the status quo and speak up against the premier? <laughs> well, I guess uh, you can see what happens uh, with uh, when I did anyways. I mean, uh, there has been some MLAs that have spoke out, uh, you know, here, here and there once in a while and everything. But of course, I, I went uh, one step further and I, I, I just realized that uh, we're in a situation right now where the, we needed uh, a change in leadership and uh, a, a drastic change in direction. So that's why I asked the Premier to resign. And obviously, I was uh, booted out of caucus for that. So I sit as an independent. But... Uh, but I, I think that we need to have this opportunity if we have these, uh, you know, the government's always claimed and the previous always claimed that we have free votes in the legislature. It's like, okay, well, let's, uh, let's put this information before the legislature. Let's let MLAs have the free vote that he claims they have. And let's, uh, let's see what, uh, what, you know, what the decision is because MLAs are supposed to be there representing their constituents and uh, standing up for the rights and uh, freedoms of people. And if that's the case, then uh, the, then they should have that opportunity to have that vote. And, and if they really did have that vote, there wouldn't be a party whip, I, I think. Like that's, what, that's what the party whip is for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and when we, when we had that vote on uh, the amendments that I talked about that uh, Mr. Barnes brought forward, uh, I think we, had, uh, we did have a, a couple, I think, UCP MLAs vote uh, for that. But other than that, uh, they all voted against it. And obviously, that was uh, one of those whip votes. Okay. One thing I forgot to ask earlier is um, you were talking about how the CMOH has basically been given authority to handle the situation. So according to um, Lieutenant Colonel Redmond, um, in the past, there's always been a department or agency that's supposed to coordinate um, disaster or pandemic relief. So does Alberta still have that? And do you have any idea, if, if so, why were they not the ones to take the helm with this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, we do have that. Uh, that's that. Uh, as far as I know, that's still set up and everything. And uh, but it's it's funny how this when this pandemic came along, it just seemed like the premier wanted to uh, kind of control everything and run everything, and so it just seemed like all that, uh, that you know all the plans and stuff in the past just got thrown out the window, and uh, and we started going down this road. And I, I, maybe we hit a point where where nobody wanted to turn back and do it the right way, but. But, but there's, it's never, never too late to do the right thing and go, and go about things the right way. And, uh, but yeah, I think there's, and, and that was right from the start. I think right from the get-go, we had uh, problems with, with uh, how this was, should have been handled properly. And, uh, and it really wasn't. I mean, we, we seen a lot of holes in the system and, and uh, people were scrambling when they should have been just looking back at a good plan and, and following the plan. 
prior preparation prevents poor performance, but when you don't lose or use the plan, uh, you, you land yourself in big trouble. Yeah. So we've kind of identified some of the problems and kind of where we're at with this whole thing. So what's your thoughts moving forward? Like that's the most common question people ask me is what can we do? What do we do? Where do we go from here? Um, how do we fix this huge societal divide? Do you have any, any input on that? Well, as far as dealing with our, our friends and neighbors and family and everything, I know there's a lot of divide there. And I think uh, in any discussions we have, if we want to attract people and, and uh, get people on side with how we think then we need to we need to be uh you know kind and uh understanding and respectful in our in our communications and so i encourage people to do that with one another no matter what side of this issue they're on and i i really do think we need to respect everyone uh, when it comes to dealing with your uh, elected representative and and i think that's that's the answer is really still through our elected representatives even though like i say they haven't had much say in this whole process they still uh, hold power within within government, and they still can be encouraged to to do the right thing. And I think if you if we have a respectful dialogue and uh, and with our elected representatives, then I, th I think that's the best. And I think we need to continue to uh, apply pressure. I think uh, people ask me all the time, "Well, what can I do?" And it's it, you know you, you need to continue being respectful to uh, to your elected representative, but be firm and and be consistent and and don't let up. I mean. Uh, I often joke that uh, that uh, elected representatives, if you if you don't tell them uh, they're on the wrong track every day, they'll think they're on the right track the very next day. So you need to need to remind them regularly that uh, that you feel that they, you know they maybe need to go in a different direction. And I guess if they're headed the right direction, if they do something good, then you need to commend them on that. And but I think uh, it, it you know pe people I think some people think that if they uh, write one email and express a feeling, then they, they figure it's done. But I think this the pressure needs to be consistent. Obviously, there's a lot of people that have been uh, putting a lot of time and effort into trying to change things, and and it hasn't happened yet. So I think we just need to continue on that. And again, I just uh, I just encourage everybody to be respectful and kind and uh, understanding, but uh, but firm and uh, and uh, persistent. I think that's one of the most important things to remember is that no matter what you're doing. You, you have to be respectful. And unfortunately, there, you know, there's groups out there that do things that are a little bit, you know, they're a little bit more in your face than other groups do. Um, from what I've seen, the majority of it has been completely peaceful and respectful for the most part. But there are certain organizations out there that will twist that and spin it and, you know, make it look like they're all a bunch of crazy, aggressive people, right? So, you that's, that's the tricky part with these things. If you're going to make a difference, you have to speak up. But the way you speak up is interpreted by other people um, in different ways. So you got to yeah. be careful to, to walk that fine line between, uh, you know, looking like a crazy or as, as Kenny calls them, a right-wing extremist or, you know, Trudeau calls them racist misogynists. Um, you have to be able to get your message out and speak your mind while maintaining your, I guess, your grounds to do so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, people are passionate about these issues, and and that's understandable. But uh, um, you know, if if you if you go on the offensive right off with people, then they they get defensive and and uh, quit listening. And so I think we need to to be able to do this in a in, in a way that we can we can attract people to to look at things the way we look at them, and and be able to uh, you know further further the movement. Yeah, absolutely. So I put a question up there. Somebody is asking, why don't the MLAs have any voice in this pandemic? 
and and that's just because of the the process that's been uh, that evolved with this. Uh, you know, we have the we have the, of course the elected MLAs, and uh, but what where all the decisions are made with this have been been made in the uh, emergency cabinet committee, and uh, and they of course I think there's eleven on that committee. Uh, they and they meet with the chief medical officer of health. Of course, the premier's there on that committee too, and that's where all the decisions are made on on this. And so we could go into a cabinet or a caucus meeting, and a caucus could, uh, you know, overwhelmingly want to go one direction, and the, the premier would go a different direction altogether. And that was that was happening regularly, and so that's that's the issue is that the the MLAs, unless they decide to really stand up and take a take a real solid stance and uh, and speak out publicly then uh, then of course the it's hard to see what they're doing behind the scenes sometimes there's some are speaking out within caucus but of course uh, the, the the constituents they don't see that and then of course it, if it doesn't make a difference and it doesn't and a lot of times it doesn't make a difference then uh, then it, of course that removes the voice of uh, of caucus members and the effectiveness of of, uh, of the caucus at all mm -hmm. Yeah. So with that said, I mean, the, the, the people in Alberta, or at least I think um, the majority of them, there's, there's a dire message out there that the MLEs need to pay attention to. And that is, um, we need some results here. Otherwise we're going to fire you. I mean, that's, that's what happens when an elected government doesn't, you know, it doesn't give results and, and, and benefit the people, they get fired. And yeah. I've seen the last, last two years, in the beginning, that first little shutdown, um, I didn't complain about it. I did my thing. I wore my mask. I shut my restaurant down. I did my part because we didn't know. Um, and throughout this whole thing, we've we've used the same template that hasn't worked at each stage. And we continue applying that template to the next stage with more division, more segregation, more animosity between the two sides. And really that it's insanity. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different, different results. So my, my question to the MLAs is, uh, how many times are we going to do the same thing and get the same results and keep making things worse before you stand up and, and force the leadership to change the path we're on? And I think that's where a lot of people are at right now, regardless of which side of the debate they're on, because there are those who... Um, you know, they put all of their value and focus on people who are sick with COVID. And there are those that put their, their focus and value on all the associated um, uh, detriments resulting from the mandates, right? And there really is something in between that we could that we could do and move forward effectively. But for some reason, it's like our, our government, the, the leadership in our government just does not want to back down and admit that maybe we should be doing things a different way. So, you know, aside from calling your MLA and, and phoning them and, you know, attending a protest, what, what can people do to force the government to change their path in order to try something different and get better results? I think the, the, the best thing, and you, you mentioned it there too, as far as the, you know, in order to be reelected. And I, uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a joke that, you know, what does every politician want? The first thing they want is to be elected. And what is the second thing they want is to be reelected. And so I think that that message needs to be sent loud and clear that, uh, that if the MLAs uh, don't represent their constituents, that they, they won't be reelected. And of course, I think, uh, you know, MLAs, it is a tough job. I mean, there's always uh, push and pull from both sides. And uh, and that's and they have to be able to 
to balance that out and, and, and listen to both sides and be able to make a decision in, of a direction. But I think a, a lot of the MLAs are seeing a lot of push from, uh, from one side and the majority of the people in some, some of the MLAs constituencies are, are pushing one particular way and the MLA doesn't seem to be going. And I think uh, that message uh, has to be uh, sent loud and clear that, uh, that if these MLAs want to be reelected, that they're going to have to do something, uh, change direction. And that's, that's one of the main things with government. Of course, uh, a lot of political parties, you know, they want to be able to, uh, you know, implement their agenda or their uh, policies that their their people want to see put in but of course you you don't have any opportunity to implement policies when you're uh, in opposition it's only in government is when you have that opportunity and and of course the people decide who's in government and who's in opposition speaking of opposition there's somebody that asked an interesting question why is ahs so ndp mandated and managed and i i before i asked that question i don't know that ahs is ndp mandated as much as uh, Rachel Notley is, would basically do everything exactly the opposite of Jason Kenney, regardless of what it is, right? I mean, that's kind of the way it's been with uh, Rachel Notley and Jason Kenney this entire time. So is there, can you shed any light on that? I mean, I don't, I don't know how to answer that question. And I, I certainly don't think that AHS is NDP mandated. And actually, I would like to point out for the record, um, I just spent a little bit of time back and forth in the hospital in the comb. Um, I got an infection on the back of my foot from my boot rubbing on my leg, believe it or not. And so I had to go there and the staff were absolutely amazing. Like the people that work boots on the ground, people that work for AHS are, they're amazing people who've chosen a career in service of other people. So I, I certainly have no problem with that. And I was so thrilled with my experience at the Lacombe hospital. I even bought a leaf on one of the, on the tree there, the Lacombe health foundation. I bought a $500 relief. I donated that to the Lacombe Health Foundation just because um, I really wanted the staff at that hospital to know that I appreciate them. So I can see how a question like this could be a little bit dangerous, but do, do you have any input as to why, why Rachel Notley and the NDP are so um, ingrained in AHS policy? Is that a appropriate question? Yeah, that's a, that is a tough question. Uh, I, I do want to kind of echo your thoughts, though, too, as far as the frontline staff, uh, how good a job they do. And, uh, you know, obviously I attend a hospital once in a while or take family members in and I, I always have a great deal of respect for the 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 staff, the nurses, the doctors, uh, the people that work in the hospital and everything. Uh, they, do, they do a great job with what they what they're given, what they have to deal with. Of course, they're dealing with lots of lots of different things on a daily basis. As far as the the NDP influence on uh, in, in AHS, I mean, that, that is a tough one. I, I know there's a lot of things that happen in government. I think you could probably look across any government department and say that there's a uh, an NDP influence. I think when we, uh, you know, I think government as a as a whole, when we, we look at it, a lot of times we look at it that it's uh, um, when we're, I guess, when we're looking closely at government, we're always looking critically at government. And if we're, if we're on the conservative side of the political spectrum, we're looking at it, and we we look at different government departments, and we think they're doing things wrong or taking too much time or everything. We 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 would consider that NDP influence or a, maybe a bit of a, a left wing ideology there. But uh, but of course, I think we we can always make make things better in government. I think that's that's one been one of my goals since uh, since I started in politics was try to get good government. And if we have good government, we respond to people's concerns and needs. Uh, there's certain things that government's responsible to deliver, and I think that's the important thing that we have to do is uh, as government is is to deliver those things in the most efficient and effective way possible. 
And uh, obviously, government affects almost every aspect of our lives, and it's easy to uh, to to pick apart government because the because they're always there. They're, we we can look over our shoulder at any given time and and see some government uh, department influencing our lives. Um, but I, but again, this is the opportunity we have that we uh, we can get our elected leaders, we can elect good governments, and and good governments will respond to the people and and get things done properly. And I think there's there is a lot of improvement to be done, and uh, and I think people see that in the HS too. And there is a common misconception that the only political party or the uh, political leaning that supports healthcare workers is the left or the NDP. Uh, that's entirely false. Um, as a conservative. I believe that the best way to support our healthcare and frontline workers is to manage the, uh, the organizations efficiently, use resources efficiently, and, and, and be fair about it. Um, that, that's, that's what conserva being conservative means to me. It doesn't mean conserving, like keeping all the wealth from healthcare workers. It means using what you've got effectively so that you don't create a problem in the future. And I, I think most of the conservative-minded folks um, even in our current government, would agree with that that sentiment. Um, but we're, we're we're not quite seeing that right now. But maybe maybe things will change. So yeah. we're uh, we're just over our thirty minute mark. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to mention about uh, about Bill sixty six? Anything that you consider to be important that people need to take note of? You know, there's there's obviously lots of things in there, and it's. Uh... It's, it's probably hard to cover a, a lot of it because again, it's an, it's an amendment to the health act and the health act is a, is a huge document of course. And, uh, but you know, I, I think what we, we have to do, and I, I guess the, and I, I, maybe I keep going back to the same place, but I, I think it's important point is uh, that our MLAs need to be uh, accountable. They, they need to be able to, they need to be listened to their constituents. And if we have a, a, a proper leadership in, in government, then the MLAs will have their opportunity to have their voices heard and, and uh, you'll have your opportunity to, to influence the, your MLA. But uh, that process has been, uh, been sidetracked with this, with this pandemic where the uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health and the, the Cabinet Committee have been making all the decisions. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, during, during a time when the legislature is sitting, we, we should have the opportunity to discuss discuss these things in the legislature and, and have those votes and where people can actually see what their MLAs are saying and, and how they're representing them. So probably the most important thing is to push and advocate to get back to a grassroots model of government where the people's voices are heard and the MLAs are allowed to effectively represent them within the legislature. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think uh, whether you agree with my position on, uh, on, the, on the COVID restrictions or not, at the end of the day, that covers everybody. Because if we're in a free and democratic society and our voices are heard, then uh, it is what it is. But yeah. we're not there right now. And, and somehow we need to get back there. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, we're not always, always going to agree on, on different issues and how things are handled, but we can, we need to be able to have that discussion and, and need to be able to feel like we're represented when we're, uh, when our MLAs are in the legislature. And we certainly should never have to worry about our leaders using uh, phrases and verbiage designed to incite anger and hate from one side of the debate to the other. That's a big problem. And, and that, you know, as you well know, I kind of went on a 
kick Kenny to the curb campaign last year. And that's exactly why I heard this stuff starting. And that is something that an effective leader should never, ever do. No, no, there's no use dividing people. We can we can have these respectful discussions and we can come up with good decisions. We don't need to be calling names or blaming people. That's that's that is totally unacceptable. All right. Well, thank you, Todd. Uh, I don't see any other um, really super pertinent questions. It's mostly the same thing. People are very disillusioned with government. Um, they're, you know, I, I've seen a lot of comments. MLAs don't return messages. We have no voice. People are selected, not elected. We have a big job to do in the next little while to return faith and confidence in any kind of government. So I hope that if the other MLAs are watching or listening or maybe even the premier. Um, I hope that weighs very heavily on your shoulders because you really got to put your nose to the grindstone and start earning your wage as leaders. Yeah. Just like Todd's doing. <laughs> yeah, I think we'd, uh, I just want to add to that. I think what, what people lack is uh, lack right now is trust in government and, and that should never happen. Uh, but that, but that is the situation we're in right now. I think there's a, a lot of people are disillusioned with government and have lost trust in uh, the leadership of this government. And I, I think that's uh, that's a huge problem. Maybe step one with the current government will be to replace the leader and show the people that they're listening to their voices and get back to a place where they can use their voices within legislature. That would yeah. be a big, big, I think I think they would get a lot more support. Yeah, that'd be, be a good step in the right direction. Absolutely. Okay, Todd. Well, we went over a little bit. Uh, sorry to keep you longer than I than I had asked for, but uh, I really appreciate you speaking to me, and I'm sure everyone who was watching appreciates it as well, regardless of which side of the debate they're on. Um, this is about, you know, identifying the problems within our government and society right now that we would like to see fixed, and hopefully we've given some insight and shed some light on that. And on that note, I would like to wish you a very happy evening, and. Uh, Maybe next time I'm up in the area, I'll swing by and bring you a coffee. You're welcome anytime. And uh, thanks. Thanks. Appreciate you having me on. And uh, thanks for those that joined in and uh, good questions and comments. And yep. Uh, like I say, if you're up in this area, more than welcome. Awesome. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Chris. See ya. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Uh, MLA Todd Lowen from the Central Peace Notley constituency in Northern Alberta. Um, as most of you already know, Todd now sits in a, as an independent. He was elected as a UCP MLA uh, last election. He spoke up against Jason Kenney. He stood his ground and he paid the price by being kicked out of caucus. However, you should never sacrifice your own personal ideals and ethics and morality um, just to stay comfortable in your job or in your position. If you see something wrong and you know that you need to stand up and speak out against it, then do that. It's the right thing to do. And in the end, uh, people like Todd will be very well rewarded for uh, taking an ethical and moral approach to their jobs. With that said, I would like to say goodnight to everybody and thank you again. Uh, and for those of you in Sundry, uh, I will see you in Sundry very shortly. Good night.